0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, in the spirit, in the spirit of a new school year, I usually go back and forth if you've been here for any period of time. uh, At this time of the year, some Some Labor Day weekends, we talk about work and our relationship as Christians to work. We talk about, at this time of the year, maybe slowing down. But we're going to be talking this morning about our faith and how we're passing that on to our children. The title of the sermon is Faith Forward. How do we as a people, how do we take our faith and we move it forward to this next generation? So I want to look at that. We as parents... And how we're doing in passing the baton, passing the torch to the next generation. Then as a church at large, how are we really doing in that endeavor, in that respect? I'm going to do something this morning. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to do something I have never done in a sermon. I've delivered a lot of sermons, but I have never done this before. I am going to have somebody read a passage of scripture, a child read a couple of verses from psalm 71 come here you you can do it i'm gonna call up all right ready i need a microphone over here can we get a microphone mommy can you step up all right okay i'll put the verse up so you can see it on the screens is that on i'll hold this for you all right if you can read this for me go ahead like we did this morning Okay. Since my uh, youth. 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 Go ahead. Just like you and me. Just go ahead. Go ahead. I got it. I'll hold the mic. I'll hold the mic. Go ahead, just repeat. Go ahead. since my youth. Since my youth. youth God. God.
1: Yeah. You have taught me this, me this day.
0: I declare, I declare your marvelous, marvelous deeds,
2: even when I am old and gray, Greg. do not forsake
0: me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Thank you, You want to stay and deliver the rest of the sermon? You did great. Thanks. Well, that was cool. And you know what? I want to use other kids in here. I mean, we've used Gabriel. We've, I'd like to see other kids up here. And you know, Pastor Linda and I were having a conversation not too long ago about that and doing things maybe to incorporate the kids more in a meeting with us here. So that's kind of neat. But look at these words. Will, will you with me? I love, it says there, Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, I'm getting grayer. Some of you are grayer than I am. Do not forsake me, my God, till I declare, I love this, your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Isn't that a wonderful passage? Lord, not until we have declared who you are and what you're about, And how mighty you are in power to the next generation. So that that generation could take hold of who you are. And they could pass it on to the next generation. And that it would go on for perpetuity. That's what the the gospel is all about. That's what was started and movement was started 2,000 years ago. And it has not stopped and it just keeps moving. And one generation passes it on to the next. And it goes all the way down to where we are here today in the 21st century. And I don't know about you, I, I think many of you would agree with me, this would resonate with you. I don't, I, my kids, when they get older, listen, I want you to do well in school, I really do. I want you to excel, you want to play sports, musical instruments, you want to get involved in theater. I want you to find somebody that you love, I want you to get married, all these wonderful things that you experience in life. But let me tell you, they all pale in comparison to knowing who God is. Number one, first and foremost, as parents, that should be our goal. That's what keeps me up sometimes at night when I wake up and the more I think about it. My youngest is only two, my oldest is seven. And he understands and he's watching me more and more. He's watching his mother. He's watching how we act. He's watching how we love each other. He's watching how we raise him and his brother. Your kids are watching you on a daily basis. Not by what you say, but what you do how we act, what we put first and foremost. And if you ask them, they can probably tell you much more than we even think they know. They know. And I just want to make a couple of observations and and then we'll be out of here. This isn't going to be a really long sermon. I hope so. Some of you got happy when you just heard that. So how do we really, in essence, pass the faith on ...to the next generation. How do we really do that? And I would say, just the first observation is... ...is that we're supposed to be a church that does that. And it's so simple and it's obvious. But sometimes we really do forget it. And I think it's kind of hardwired. Don't you think it's hardwired into, into us as human beings... ...that we care for those that are coming after us? You remember, if you're younger in here... ...you won't know these days, but years ago... There were no seatbelts in the car. Nobody used seatbelts. You didn't have car seats, right? Remember those days? And if you were ever driving in a car with your mom, my mom used to do that. If you were in the front seat, old mothers, you can relate to this. And if there was an abrupt stop, what would mom automatically do? Right arm was out. As if mom was going to stop you. Physics lesson, right? Mom is going to stop you from flying through the windshield, It's never going to happen, but she tried. There's something instinctual. It's innate in all of us that we want to care for, take care of the next generation. And that's a good thing. And we should really care about that deeply. There's a story. It's apocryphal. It's not true, but it's a story of a couple. They're in their 90s. It's silly, all right? So don't, this is a silly story, but just to make sure you're with me. They're in their 90s, uh, been married for 70 years, long time. They go to see an attorney and they walk in the office and they say, we want a divorce. The guy's like, you want a divorce? Wait, you're in your 90s, you've been married for 70 years. I have to ask you, why would you want to get divorced after all these years? And the wife looks at him and and she says, we wanted to wait until the kids died. (laughs) There really is. There's something inside of us. We really do want to take care of our kids. How many of you, I was thinking this week too, how many of you, you watch your kids sleep? Isn't there something, some of you are like thumbs down, don't ever use that story again. All right, I'll never, I promise, I'll never use it. I'm going to call your house tonight and I'm going to tell you the story again. All right. Uh, How many of you, when you watch your kids sleeping, right? You watch your kids and they're sleeping. Doesn't it do something for you? You know physically, emotionally, spiritually, how good it is for them to be sleeping. I do it all. No, really, I do it. And some of you parents, maybe you're laughing a little bit. I mean, how excited we get at the end of a day when your kids finally go to sleep and you have a little alone time, maybe quiet time. Well, really interesting. I think about there's something inside of us that we as a people, we care so much about our kids and their safety, our concern for them. It's a good thing, right? Now. When you look at through the ages, spiritually speaking, God has chosen different ways. It's always been, we're going to pass on the faith to the next generation, but the methods have changed. You look in the Old Testament and what do you see? You see Moses, right? And there is Moses, and who's going, to be, who's going to come next? He tells Moses, first of all, he says, you tell the, Moses, you're to tell the people. They're to write down the laws. They're to write things on, you know, on doorposts, right? So they, that those people can see them. You get to the next generation, it's Joshua. And he says, all right, you're going to go into the promised land now. What does he do? They cross over the Jordan and they're ready to go into the promised land. And God's like, "Eh, put the brakes on. Here's what you need to do first. You have to get 12 stones out of the Jordan River. You're going to take them. You're going to put them over here. And every generation, people are going to know. The kids are going to know who I am and what what, what I did for you. So every generation, things change. And when you look at, and I was just doing, writing down some notes j- just from history here. But when you look at things, how about this? In the Middle Ages, right, they were using like the stained glass. You ever like see churches, old churches and see some of that stained glass? Well, the children during that time were largely illiterate, but they would see the stories that were up there and they would marvel at those stories. How about this? The Heidelberg Catechism, you're talking about traditional church, um, a, a vehicle that was used for passing on the faith would be a catechism. And these words, they're just so beautiful, they would ask questions and then they'd have answers. And the kids would be asked, ready? What is your only comfort in life and death? This is what kids would say back, that I am not my own, that I belong body and soul in life and in death To my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? That's what children used to say? That was their only comfort? Oh, we don't live in a world that thinks that way today. Your only comfort and security is in what you do. Is your 401k and whatever job you're going to get. And whatever college you're going to go to. Getting ahead of myself. But in Time Magazine, there was an article this past week. Couldn't make it up. I went to the mailbox and I'm like, there's a sermon illustration. The cover story was about nine different families and how they had exemplary, amazing kids and the common traits with all of these nine families. And I'm reading the article and what family had this kid was the CEO of a company. This kid's a a neurosurgeon. I mean, ridiculous off the charts, right? These these individuals have. Quote unquote, in the world's eyes, really excelled. But I sat there and said, if I'm going to read this, this is making me depressed as a parent. Then it's just telling me, put more burdens on my back, Tell me that my kids are supposed to be like this. This is what life is all about. If they're not a doctor, if they're not a lawyer, if they're not an engineer, then they're not something in society. Is that what we're to really believe about our kids? And the most important thing for them is what their SAT scores are. What is your class rank? That's how we're going to define our kids. But that's what we're doing i a teacher. If you don't know that, some of you know this. But if you don't, I'm a teacher. I've been teaching for 20 years. I see it. And the pressure we're putting on our kids is killing them. It is suffocating them. And I'm on the list. I'm doing it. The system has to change. It's not working the way it is. That's why we need to be on guard as parents, as Christians. We need to be on guard. We need to be going to battle every single day. We cannot be asleep, folks, at the wheel when it comes to raising our kids and their spiritual lives. And it's so easy to. It happens all the time. All right, second observation. I mean, I can go on and on. I mean, when I was a kid too, I wrote some notes about the flannel graph and some of you even came out before my time, but I remember those in the old church. How many of you know what the flannel graph was? Remember those? telling a story and they put it on the wall. I mean, every generation uses different things. But again, how do we pass on the message? How do we pass on what is true and what's really important? And as we get to the second observation, which is really, I'm going to give you a lot of some statistics, give you the grim side of what a lot of the research is saying about the world these kids are growing up in. But I think we always look at life, don't we? Doesn't the older generation always look at the next generation and say, man, you have no idea how hard it was for us. How many of you are with me, right? Some of you lie to your kids and you're like, when I went to school, I went five miles up the hills, snow, blizzards, tornadoes, right? I went to school. And I do get annoyed though. When I drive to work on Tuesday morning and I'm going to school, it annoys me big time When I leave Fairway Drive and I leave my cul-de-sac and I see kids standing 20 feet from where my car is because they don't have to walk down to the lake down there at the golf course, they get the bus, the bus comes up the hill, here comes the yellow chariot and it's coming right up the street. When I was a kid, you had to walk down to the bus stop down there, they didn't care about kids. My kids are going to hear about that every single, every single September. Well, when daddy was a kid, daddy had to walk all the way down there. So why don't you try it? If you can walk all the way, you know, you you get the point. But really, right? How many of you? We think sometimes we look at life and say, "Eh, kids, it was much harder for us than it is for you. Well, let me tell you. Being a kid today is a lot harder than it was for me. And it's a lot harder than it was for my parents. And it's a lot harder than it was for grandparents. People that would be, I would consider my grandparents a lot harder. We lived through the Great Depression. Yeah, horrible. We're not going to get into it. Horrible. But I'm saying there is more, a spiritual battle that is taking place. There is an enemy that is looking to take kids out. To steal, to kill, and destroy your family. And he's looking to take your kids out. He's salivating over taking your kids out. He's looking to and fro for families and homes that will not take a hedge of protection. For families that will not pray. Come on, come on. He wants to take us out. and You're in a battle. I'm going to battle over this. Every single day. And we need to be vigilant. And here's, here's what we're looking at. I mean, research is saying... Families are overscheduled. Any family in here, you're underscheduled. You would like more activities. See us after the meeting. We'll help you find more activities for your kids. I don't think that's the case. There is a toxic, chronic sense of of, uh, a lack of reflection, lack of quiet, a lack of space, too much hurry. Eugene Peterson, my uncle Ted passed this on to me a few weeks ago. Eugene Peterson says, hurry is a form of violence practiced on time. All I do is hurry. All I do is run from point A to point B. Needless to say, why, why why am I going at a thousand miles an hour? I'm missing out on things. Why can't I just slow down? Any of you, you feel that way? Hurry is such an enemy of the soul. It affects many of us. Too much rush, too much commitment. I'd say more, but there's not enough time. You didn't get the joke. <laughs> There's an author by the name of Denise Clark Pope. She wrote a book this Doing School, I thought the title was fascinating and I didn't read the whole thing, I perused it. Doing School: How We Are Creating a Generation of Stressed Out, Materialistic, and Miseducated Students. And she goes on in the book about how we have defined success. It's all about achievement. It's all about, hey, how are you excelling on the sports field? Are you excelling in soccer and football and baseball? Do you play an instrument? Are you involved in all these various clubs? She's saying that's how we're looking at things. You have to get into a good college. If you don't get into a good college, you're not going to get a good job. You're going to be living home with mom and dad until you're 40. But that's, come on, that's what the world is telling us. That's what they're saying to us. And so much of our lives are lived under this. How about this? An Ivy League school, I don't want to tell you which one, they said, they noted, 50% of the freshman women, this was last year, are on medication for anxiety or depression. That's the world we live in. This is the burden people carry. Um, What was was some other research on this? They say adolescents... Now, some of this research, there was a book that was written like maybe fifteen years ago now called unchristian, and it was perceptions that i 've used it in church Perceptions that uh, people that weren 't Christians had about us as Christians, so it goes through that. There was another book that was just written called barna Research you 've heard the name probably Barna before George Barna. Uh, this book was called good faith and it's I, I highly recommend it I think you 'd get a lot out of it, and it talks about in that book about how Non-Christians, you know how they look at us? They think we are extreme and we're irrelevant. Top two things that the book basically talks to about how the world sees us as Christians. Well, in there, they talk about adolescence. Did you know adolescence is beginning earlier than it ever has in human history? Adolescence, beginning earlier. How many of you went through puberty? All right, so many younger, anybody want to give it a second try? You want to do it again? You loved it so much going through puberty. You want to do it again? I didn't think so, all right? But look, just from a purely physiological perspective, because of healthcare, because of dietary issues and so on, literally, physiologically speaking, the onset of puberty is 150 years earlier today than it was in the mid-19th century. Go look it up. Listen, there's research on this. It is much earlier today than it ever has been before. And not only that, kids are making life-impacting decisions at a much earlier age, as early as middle school. Do I have to tell you what it's like in terms of sexuality for a young person to live in this world right now? And the battles that they have to go through? Again, I'm a history teacher. I teach a sociology class. I get into all these issues. I'm only in one district on the island. But I can tell you... You, much of what I hear in my school, I'm gonna hear in a lot of the schools around there. God forbid you raise your hand if you're somebody that is against same-sex marriage in a high school classroom because other kids will stare at you, they will denigrate you, they will disparage you, and if you say that you're a Christian and it's because you look at the word of God, or pick any other issue you want, they're gonna think you're crazy. You wanna stand out and be courageous and be countercultural as a young man or woman in this in this day? It's not easy. It's very hard. That's why it's incumbent upon us as parents in raising our kids... That we are with them, that we are preparing them, and we're praying with them, and we're leading them. It's important that we do this. But the culture we live in bombards the kids. You have This is what success looks like. You have to perform this way. This is how you have to look. You want to belong? Right? Then you got to do this. This is how you're going to find the good life. Every single place people look. And listen, this is wild too. 50 years ago on average. Well, 50, 60 years ago. The average age for a female to get married. You know what it was? 20 years old. Today it's like 28 years old. For a male, 22 years old. You didn't, there's a whole new block of time. Christian Smith, who is a leading, he's a Christian sociologist at Notre Dame. He talks, he calls it emerging adulthood. Did you know in the Bible there was no such thing as Adolescence. It didn't exist. You were a kid and then you became an adult. Well, the world that we live in here, it is much harder for kids. Think about it. As you get older, back then, if you got married at 20 or 22 years old, right, you're married and then you start, you have a family not too long after that. You get, you're in your career. You're raising your kids. Now, people in their 20s, either they're choosing not to get married or people are getting married much later. And what is, research has shown us, kids, when they leave the church, a lot of times, what brings them back? When they have their own families. Now the problem is, since there is such a large gap between when they graduate high school at 17 or 18 years old, and maybe 30, 35 years old when they have kids and they want to come back, what are we doing with this huge block of time that we now have? The church as we know it today, friends, if you don't see it, if you don't understand it, I'm here to tell you as a student of culture, as somebody, I'm not an expert, but I can tell you this, the way the church is currently constructed and constituted will not be successful in reaching this current generation and the generations after. There has to be a new wineskin. We have to do a new thing because this is not working. And we don't have all the answers. If you're looking, give me the answers. I don't have all the answers. But we live in a time, the financial pressure, marriage, I said, people dealing with that, finding a career, graduating college, things are taking so much longer than they ever did before. And spiritual journeys, they're so complex today. Let me give you a little bit more research. Let me go here. How about this? Lots of studies on this somewhere in this range between 65 and 90 percent of young people who are part of a church when they are in high school will walk away from the church when they hit college. Drop out of church life. Just totally drop out. Did you hear that number? 65 to 90 percent somewhere in that vicinity. There is a problem. There is a huge problem. Why is that number so high? Kids that are growing up in the church, why are they choosing to leave when they leave high school? The book, Good Faith, you know what Good Faith says? In a a Barna study, one third of all the people, not just Christians, non-Christians and Christians, said the church was totally irrelevant for their lives. One third, on religion in general, not just Christianity, religion in general, really didn't have anything to do with their lives. They didn't care about it. The next generation, some of your kids, they go to school with a lot of kids that have no exposure to who God, is, who God is in their lives, can be in their lives. They don't care. This is the battle that they walk into when they walk into schools this week. So if, that's the, if, if we're talking about emerging to adulthood and between the ages of 18 and 30, we ha, as a church have to be aware, what are we doing for kids in that age group? It doesn't t- if, if you've been around here, we're not really all that happy. The people that have put their time in and Ignite, they've done an amazing job. People giving sacrificially. Can I say to some of our parents, I wish we had a little more support from our parents in bringing the kids to some of the programs and events. They want to do a uh, go to a what was that place Jamal? What was the place the zip uh, zip line, zip line in NASA? We can't even get parents to get their kids to come out to do stuff like that. Come on, parents! What are you gonna do? So. 20 years from now, you're going to want me to come into the scene or 15, 10 years from now, one of the other pastors or somebody and say, man, can you sit down and pray? My kid wants nothing to do with church. They're older now. My kid just went through a divorce. My kid wants nothing to do with God. My kid doesn't care about this. Doesn't want to go to church. And I'm going to say, where were you when they were younger? Where were you? Parents, can I say it? And don't, um, listen, I'm not condemning. I know I'm a pastor. I have kids. Some of you are like, well, wait till your kids get older. But I have to throw it out there. We shouldn't be, uh, in my opinion, we shouldn't ask our kids whether or not they want to go to church. Why are we asking them? Why? Hey, you're 13. Hey, um, hey Mike, um, do you want to go to church this morning? Oh, no. You want to play video games? Okay, you can play video games. Go ahead. You just keep playing. Oh, you want to sit home and play with your Barbie dolls? Or you want to go out with your friends? Your evidence? Whatever. Why are we asking our kids? Where are the parents. We have to take responsibility for them. Stop asking your kids whether or not they want to go. You tell them, get your hiney out of bed. You're going to church this morning because this is what we do. It's not fair to us to come to us in 10, 15 years and say, can you help me now? I didn't bring my kid to church then, but maybe now, maybe I need some help. Do it now before the storms come. Build a relationship, build a foundation for them so that they can actually move ahead and they can make it. The numbers are, but the numbers really, I mean, they're crazy. And how skeptical, just how skeptical people are out there. How many of you younger people in that maybe 18 to 30 age group, you see it. Your friends are so skeptical of, they hear the word religion. They hear, you're a born again Christian. Oh, you're one of those crazy people. Get away from me. Right? I don't want you near me. How many of you have experienced that? That's what we're seeing. We need to combat this. We need to realize that some of these perceptions too that they have about us are true. In the unchristian book, I talked about this years ago. I just thought I'd write it down again. The book outlined that we're hypocritical, we're judgmental, anti-homosexual, proselytizers, trying to convert people. We're not sensitive to others. We're out of touch with reality and politically in ways that are unthinking and abrasive. And I would say a lot of that's probably true. A lot of it. In so many ways, people, you know, if we, we're not perfect, man, we're broken people. And when people come in here, you're not allowed. If you think you have your life all together, you're in the wrong church. Okay? You're looking at a pastor. I don't have it all together. I think the other pastors would say the same thing. We don't have it all together. We're people though, that love God. We're broken people. But when we go out into the world and we're abrasive and we're judgmental and we're shoving a political candidate down somebody's throat because of their views and we're throwing the Bible at people, you should take a stand on certain things. Don't, don't hear me say, oh, we can't, you're, you're telling me not to take a stand on anything. No, I'm telling you, it's the manner in which we do it and it's the spirit in which we say things. And a lot of times we can say things and turn people off. I'm in a PT office yet yeah, uh, two days ago. And I'm sitting there and I just, I'm like icing my leg. Just want to be left alone. I'm thinking about stuff. And then they get into this, people next to me get into this whole religious conversation. Jewish man, uh, two other women, the Christians. And the one woman's going at the guy. You gotta, you know, you need more. You need God. And the way she was saying it to the guy was like, ah. And then she knows I'm Joe Lecce's son. Aren't you a minister? She says to me. Great. Now I got to get into the conversation. Now I have to undo what you just did for the past 10 minutes and do it delicately in a way that's not going to offend you. Oh, it just gets old. And I'm like, I'm so tired. Please, please. guy, get into a conversation. Now I'm like best friends with this guy. So next time I go in, the guy is like talking to me and yeah, yeah, I get that. That makes sense. And I didn't even know what I was saying, but um, I had some sort of conversation with the guy. And that story wasn't part of the sermon. But anyway. You know, but those, those people in here, if you're somebody that, you're a high school student, you're in your 20s, you're in that 18 to 30 age group. You know what? You're, you're our heroes. Because you're the ones that go out there. And you're in church here today. When you can be out there on Labor Day weekend and you can be doing a lot of different stuff, and I know kids are going to go out east and they're going like to the boardy Barn and other places, and this is the last weekend of the summer and I'm going to party. Like, you know, people are going to go crazy today. They're going to go crazy tomorrow. But you know what? You're my heroes. You're our heroes because you're in church here with us today. You know, because we have a dream in here. And part of our dream is that this would be a place that kids, young adults between those ages, young kids, you know, young adults, whatever you want to call them, the emerging adulthood age group, that this would be a place where you feel like you could really belong. And that you really could talk about, you know what, my faith, and where am I going, and what job am I going to get into? How do I find the right spouse? Where can I plug into this place? Where can I actually really belong? Social media, another one, another st- one third of college age. No, that's not the right one. I didn't want that one. Gosh, that's not what I wanted. The- I have so many stats all over the place. I See, I should have memorized that one. That was a good one. What was I talking about? I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, thanks. Social media. So I think it was like 68%. I'm just making that number. Right. It was in the 60s. 60 something percent of people that was surveyed, according to this Barna poll said that social media was not just Christians was keeping and this is obvious too keeping people so disconnected no wonder why there's a higher incidence of people that are depressed no wonder people feel lonelier than they've ever felt before you want to hear something that's so pathetic that I wrote down this morning I couldn't play and I'm thinking this and I'm going this is pathetic do you remember Hurricane Sandy? alright this this transcends just younger people I, I like to think I'm still kind of young but I'm not okay um I, thank you. That was a test. So, um, Hurricane, remember Hurricane Sandy? And I even said it to Megan the other day. I said, I remember Hurricane Sandy. And what I remember is our power didn't go out. And some, for some of you, your power went out. And even if it did, I'll never forget that block of time for the week. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where you, there were no electronic devices. Hey, Matt, you're here today. I tell you a story now, man. Matt. Soberman, raise your hand, Matt. You didn't know I was going to call on you. Yup, I'm calling on you. Matt will turn off the power in his house once in a while. <laughs> right, Matt? Right? Power went out. No like, no iPads, no TV. Right? What? Yeah, the kids. What? They're not here. They're not here. Right? Please tell me they're not here and I'm going to get in trouble. Wow. <laughs> that would have been so bad. I didn't see them, but you're right. That was a big risk I just took. Huge but well, you forgive me if they are here in the room right okay yeah but he turned the power I, like, that's a great idea but my cousin was over and his family they were over and I'm like oh my gosh like, I rem- I'll never forget that time that we had together and we had to talk to each other I really want to do that I don't want to get hit by a hurricane I don't, wanna, I don't want anybody their homes to get damaged or anything but I do want time like that again Because it's so special and it's so sacred because otherwise we're in our phones and we just sit down and we're not talking to each other. We're on social media. We're doing all these other things that really in the end scheme of things don't really matter. We need to be a people that really connect more. Are you with me on that? With our kids? With our kids, that would be great. I want to say that, but I I won't really go there because I won't get out. What about this in in Psalm 145? I skipped that. I just went past that. Four and five. One generation shall... Praise your works to another. Look at that. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. You know, we have to be looking and talking to our kids about these stories. You know, one of the highlights of my... And I'm not just saying, I'm a preacher, so I guess you kind of live for these moments with your kids. I don't try to tell too many stories about my kids, but you know what one of the highlights of my summer was as a parent? When my seven-year-old wanted to sit down. It just started. We were reading a Bible story one night. Mom was out, right? So I'm, I'm hanging out with Jameson and we started reading a Bible story in a book that Tom had told me about a couple years ago. Somebody, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but again, it's important. Uh, a woman took all of Tim Keller's sermons and turned them into like children's stories. They're deep. They're, like, and the kids, I'm like reading it. I'm like, oh, that's really good. That's really deep. Um, did you get any of that? That's Tim Keller for you. Love Tim Keller. But I'm reading this, this children's book with him. And next thing I know, I just kind of leave, I go in the other room and he's just reading out loud by himself. The kid sat there for an hour and a half, the beginning of the summer, it was like one of the highlights of my summer for an hour and a half. He reads the first part of the whole book, this book, this children's Bible. He gets up the next morning and reads the rest of the book. And I sat there and said, "Um, what, what else would I want? What else could I possibly want? Parents, what else could we possibly want that for our kids to actually get into the word of God? Why not now? Why wait until they're older? Why wait till when trials are going to? Tell them now. That this is the word of God. This is life changing. This is the book that can change your life. This is where life can take. This will be the compass for you in life. Just fight. This is your north star. You stay on this. This has all the answers you need for everything in life. But it's hard. You know why? Because we're in a battle. And can I give you the... Probably the most challenging as I get to the end of the sermon. Here's the most challenging part of the sermon for parents, I think. For myself, I'm preaching to myself. I think what's really difficult when it comes to this topic is we've really outsourced, as parents, a lot of our responsibility to the church. We have outsourced responsibility to the professionals. You know, we live in a world, like, if your kids need, like, they're playing a musical instrument, right? You get somebody to teach them how to play the clarinet. You want somebody to learn how to pitch better, you get a, you know, an instructor. You need help in math, you get a tutor. We're so used to outsourcing responsibility. Well, listen, sociologically speaking, again, 100 years ago, not even 100 years ago, parents were the ones that really handled a lot of things that we outsource. And I think when it comes to our spiritual lives, we say, all right, I'm going to go to church now. You talk to my kid in Kidmo. James, if they're in the room with you, you preach to them. Good. Check it off the list. I hit the spiritual component. Awesome. There's the pie chart. I did this during the week. My job did it. Oh, there's the spiritual one. Let me check that off that I brought my kids to church and somebody gave them the word. That's awesome. And you know what? That's good. You should do that. I commend you on that. But what about your responsibility when you're home with your kids? What are you doing? We are up against it. Don't you see all of the sports programs are on Sundays? They're not, most of them aren't on Saturday. It's on Sunday. There is an attack on this day of the week, on the Holy, there is. And I'm not saying, listen, let me tell you something. I was an athlete my entire life. I played baseball, and they were once uh, once in a blue moon. If I had a game on a Sunday, I remember, I, I think I played sometimes. But let me tell you, if you are a parent, and you feel it is very important, I get it. Some of your kids, I, again, coming from an athlete, I get it. Some of your kids may be really into sports, and they have no choice. And maybe they want to play in college, and they have dreams, and they have goals. You know what? We don't want to dash those. But I would say to us, what are you putting in place of the time if they had to miss church... What are you putting in the place of church, of that event? Church, how are you building that into their lives? Where are you building that foundation? I'm not going to tell you. I have no right to stand up here and berate you and say, how dare your kids be in sports on Sundays? That's not my job. That's not my right. But all I can say to you as a pastor, I can say this before God. What are you doing in place of that time with your kids? Don't come to me again in 15 years and say, Oh, all this stuff is happening. You need to help me right now. I'm going to say, What were you doing earlier in life? Did you try? It doesn't mean if you do try, problems aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't matter who you are. You're a Christian. It doesn't mean your life's certainly going to be easy. You're going to have problems. But we have to put it first. And I, and I love this in Deuteronomy. The Shema, and many of you know what the Shema is. In, in 6, 4 through 9, I'm going to read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Now, after this, right after, it does not say, I want you to notice, it doesn't say outsource responsibilities to the rabbis. Let other people teach your kids you don't have to do anything. Send them off to Sunday school. You don't have to do anything. No, no, no. Look what it says after. You shall teach them, your kids, diligently to your children. Sorry, the laws and statutes. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We're not literally doing this, but we are doing this. How are we doing this in our lives with our kids as parents? How are we incorporating these things in? That's of the utmost importance. And I know what many of you are saying. James, I am so inadequate. You want me to be a spiritual teacher to my son or my daughter? Because I know, I feel that it's in the room, right? Some of you feel that way. How am I supposed to? I don't know what to do. Let me tell you something. I'm a preacher. I've been doing this for a while. I never feel confident enough. I never feel like I know enough. And I don't know what you think, because I know Pastor Linda's is the same way. I never come up here and go, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. and that, I, I don't think those things. I am always leaning on God's power because I don't know. As many times as I've done this before, you still feel like you're searching in the dark, like I've never done it before. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Trying to wait for the most adequate person to raise your kids or raise anyone's kids is like waiting for the jets to win the super bowl again it's never going to happen you're never going it's never going to happen but it's up to us to shape their lives about money about what prayer is listen none of this happens without prayer none of this happens without prayer nothing will happen without prayer none of it And lastly, parents, I think it's so important what we're modeling for our kids just by our actions. You know what sometimes I do? If it's in the morning and I read, and and, and Megan, I do this on purpose. I don't even know if we even talk about it. But sometimes I'll read my Bible and I leave it out on purpose. I leave it open. If the kids don't see me or even if they do see me, I want them to know what's important. I want them to know what's important. And I'm like, I get a little OCD and I want things clean and in their right place. And sometimes it's hard to leave the Bible sitting on the tape, but I do it. I do it. I overcome that. But seriously, why not make it important? Your kids are never going to come around right if they look at us and say, it's not important for you. Why should it be important for me? Why are we amazed sometimes our kids aren't where we, where we want them to be? I would say to you, are, are you where you really not should be? but want to be. Are you actually coming to church and making it a priority in your life? Are you actually going to a small group involved in other activities that are part of the church? Are you in real community? Well, if you're not, don't ask your kids to do it. That's not fair. It's not fair. Let me close with a little story I think that will uh, kind of tie this all together if you got anything out of it. There, um, the year was 1982. It's a crisp autumnal... Uh, October day in 1982 and there's a football game at the University of Wisconsin and it's the home of the Badgers. It's Madison, Wisconsin. 60,000 plus faithful diehard fans are at the stadium and they're there to cheer on their uh, University of Wisconsin Badgers and they're playing their opponent is the Michigan State Spartans. But hey, Wisconsin—they have the home field advantage. So at the outset of the game, you're thinking the crowd's going to maybe carry them a little bit. Well, the game starts in the first quarter, and it's really not going well. Michigan State scoring—they score a couple of touchdowns. By halftime, it's kind of lopsided. In the third quarter, the game's really out of reach. But something interesting is happening in the third quarter. Game's out of reach, but sixty-plus thousand fans—they are cheering. As the games, your team is getting killed. Why are you looking on the field and why are you cheering? The coaches are looking up in the stands. The players, they're perplexed. Why would anybody, why would you be clapping? Look at the score. We're not really doing that well. This isn't going well for us. But the coaches didn't realize, and what the players didn't realize was, 70 miles away, the World Series was going on, and the Milwaukee Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals and they were winning the baseball game. They were winning, right? A lot of the fans had portable radios. So as the game is going on and Michigan State is annihilating the Badgers, these people are cheering and it's a raucous crowd Because they're listening to a game that is 70 miles away and the team that they like is winning. And I'm saying that to you this morning. If you can't put two and two together, they were watching a game that was happening on the field. They were seeing something with their own eyes, but there was another game that was going on. And there was another arena that was going on. And there was another power that was at play, but they they saw something with their eyes. But they needed to show everybody else, no, something else is really happening. It may look bleak. It may look bad. It may look like the devil is winning. It may look like he's going to win, right? But I'm here to tell you, don't be focused on what you see. Don't be just focused on what statistics say. I know what I hear in the word of God. And I think of people like Peter when Peter says he stands up before the Sanhedrin and he starts to quote Joel and he says, oh, in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, not on some flesh, on all flesh and young men and women, they will prophesy. And young men will have visions and old men will have dreams. I know what I hear when I open up the word of God. I hear about where the head and not the tail. I know what the Bible says about raise up your children in the way they should go. When they're older, they will not depart from it. It's a light unto their path and a lamp unto their feet. That's what this is. And I hear, I hear another game. And I hear that the outcome is going to be that Jesus will prevail. And I say to you, he will pour out his spirit on all the young. Listen, friends. Listen. In closing, the only way for, there has to be a move of God that takes place in this hour and this day. I don't know, in, tr- in talking to kids and having intellectual dialogues and conversations, in talking to people and reading the research, I don't know how things are really going to change. It does. It may look bleak, but I don't know how things are going to change without an incredible move of God's power in this day. You know what we're missing? Can I, can I have one more minute? Yeah. One more minute. We're missing the supernatural. You know what the devil has stolen from the church? He's stolen the fact that the supernatural is still here. God's power can be real. You know what story I was in all week? I'm in this story in in 1 Samuel 14. Can I just tell it to you? It's not part of the sermon. It's extra. Right? I'm in overtime right now. There's a story of Jonathan. How many of you know Jonathan? Saul's son, Jonathan. I, I just love this story where the Philistines are there and they're intimidating the Israelites. And there's King Saul... And he's hiding and all the Israelites, you know, they're in caves, they're in holes, they're hiding out because the big bad Philistines are there. And then you see this guy, Jonathan, the king's son, he says to his armor bearer one day, let's go pick a fight. Like William Wallace, you ever see Brave Hearts? What are you facing? Every time I read it, I'm like, he's like, William Wallace. He's like, let's go up there to the hill up there and let's go take out some Philistines. They go up to the hill and they slaughter them. And the the, the armor bearer is like, hey man, if you want to go, I'm with you. Let's do this. And they go up there and they do it. And I sit there and I go, where is that kind of passion? Where is that belief in the supernatural that there's an almighty God that is with us today when we move and has real power? Because I see things. I see a Daniel in a lion's den. I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a furnace. I see people like Esther. I see people like Ruth. I see people like Peter getting on water, jumping out of the boat. Where are those people today? Acts 4, Peter and John. They're before the Sanhedrin. And then Peter opens up his mouth and he starts to speak. And the Bible tells us they were amazed because they were uneducated. These were ordinary men. They shouldn't talk like this. They shouldn't walk like this. They shouldn't know the word like this. They shouldn't have power like this. But God's spirit was with them. Here today, wake up. His power is here. Oh, Lord, drop a palm on us. Father, I ask that you would move on your young people. Lord, we take back this emerging generation. Father, that which the devil has sought to to steal and kill and destroy. Father, we call it back into the kingdom. We call those things that are not, Lord. We call it back now. Father, this is your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, we plead with you that you would indeed have a mighty move of your spirit on this planet, Lord. Lord, put us on the offensive. Stop putting us on the defensive. Send us out into this day. Lord, I pray for the young people in here right now. Lord, I pray for them that they would be bold and they would be courageous. And that they wouldn't look to and fro. They wouldn't look back behind them. But they would move ahead. Father let them see. Give them pictures. Give them dreams. Give them visions. Give them a reality of who you are. Father bring them to a new level. May they not get sucked into. All the world tries to tell them that it has to offer for them. Lord, show them that they were created. There's an infinite chasm. Naeem talked about it last week. There's an infinite chasm that can only be filled with you because you are infinite. Lord, may we look to you. Only you satisfy. Our hearts are idol factories. Lord, show us those areas of our lives. Show these young people what you have in store for them, Father. Use them, Lord And Lord, I ask for your church That you would give us as leaders Lord, give us heavenly wisdom And and guidance as to what to do with them Lord, we don't really know, Father We're waiting and leaning on you, Father At this hour But we don't want the same old church I don't want the same old youth program Where somebody just comes in and does the same old thing Father, it's a new day Please speak to us, your church May we be a part of the new wineskin, Lord Show us your way, Father. Show us your way. I pray for, for, for parents in here right now. Lord, that we would take uh, your charge. Lord, that you would take these feeble words today. Lord, use them in parents' lives, just as you did for the speaker, to challenge all of us as parents and how we raise our kids. And what's truly important, may they really see what's first and foremost in our lives. Lord, there's nothing else that matters in raising our kids up in such a way that they'll know you and they'll be with you for eternity.
1: Amen. I want to pray for all of the parents in this room. Father, I know there's many that didn't come to know you when their children were young. And some of their children are grown. And they're feeling it's too late. But, Father, I want to pray for them today and for their grown children. And we want to declare this morning that you are not only the Savior and the friend of the sinner, but you're the Redeemer. You're the one who, re, who redeems. And we want to pray this morning for all of the grown children that don't know you. All of our grown children that didn't get raised in a community. Father, not for the lack of the parents, but the parents just weren't there at the time. And so I ask you to cover those parents today, Father, with grace today. I pray that you will speak to their hearts and show them, Lord, you are the oh, you are the God who is all-powerful. That you love the child. You love those grown children. They're not too far from you. You love them. And, and you're still the friend of the sinner. So we pray for them today, oh God. That you will send the people into their lives that know you in a real way. And will speak to them in words maybe that we can't. We pray for them, Father, to have an awakening. Father, let them find in their pig's pens... That all of the things they thought were going to give them life. And all the things they thought were going to give them what they wanted. Father, let all their idols be smashed. And let them lift their eyes to you. Father, we believe you with faith today. We don't walk out of here today and surrender not one of them, Lord. We're not surrendering one of our adult kids that don't know you today. We're calling them into the kingdom right now. We call them, Father, to know you. And we call them into the kingdom of God and lord we i ask you to give real faith to the parents in this room who have children in that situation i pray lord that you'll cause them to have the power to pray to fast and to pray father give us all in this church the power to come out of come away from the television set and move away from the things father that we do that aren't absolutely necessary and to devote a period of time to fast and to pray, not only for our children, Father, but for all the children in this community, Lord, from the youngest to the oldest, for all the children, for the Christians, all the Christian children heading back to school. Father, we don't want to just get up today and just pray a blanket prayer. We need your move with our children today. We heard this morning from the preacher. We heard what difficult circumstances they're up against. It's not easy to stand up for them today and say that they know you. But Father, you've done it for every generation when it was difficult. You've done it before and you can do it again. And we're asking you to raise up Daniel's again, Father. Raise up David's again and Esther's and Mary's, Father. Raise up these men and women, these young men and women to know you at this hour father as we get our priorities straight let us begin here with us father as the adults let us begin with our priorities we call out to you we just agree with the with pastor james this morning we're asking you for a wave of your spirit and father we want to pray as well Now, for for our school district and for every school district that is represented in this room, would you please stand up this morning if you represent a school, a private school, another school district other than Longwood? I'm going to ask you to stand up this morning because we want to pray. Come on up, Joe, honey, join me. And we want to pray for every school district. How many of you feel the need for your children's schools, you teachers that teach in other schools, if that's you, you stand up too? How many of you feel a need to pray over those schools? How many know we need to pray a covering and protection over those schools, over each and every building? And so we're here today. And you know what? The only people that have the power in our districts is the Church of Jesus Christ. We're the ones that have the power to pray and to ask God to to keep them, protect them and to be with our administrators and our teachers who were, who Joe's going to pray for in a minute our school bus drivers you the office staff our aides our, our our kitchen workers all of you so definitely necessary but father we're standing in your presence this morning each of us representing our own schools our own school district and we're crying out to you this morning father for a covering over each and every school Over each and every child going and coming from school, our buses, Uh, Father, each and every building, oh God. And Father, where there's any dark plan being processed behind closed doors, even now against any of these districts, we're asking for it to be exposed and to be brought out into the light. But, Father, we're going to be praying for these school districts, the Christian schools, Stony Brook School. Father, we're praying for all of the schools that hold up the name of Jesus. And we're asking, Father, to give us the kind of boldness we heard about this morning from the pastor. The kind of boldness. Raise up leaders in every one of these schools. Raise up the the worst drug addicts in these schools and make them your leaders. You've done it before. The kids that everybody thinks there's no hope for, those are the kids. Raise them up, Father, and make them leaders. Father, we pray for your covering and protection over each and every one of these schools and districts that are represented here today, right now. Joe, pray for the administrators and the teachers. Yes, I
2: just want to add that uh, as I was sitting here this morning anticipating that we were coming up to pray and uh, motivation by the message this morning, that prayer, just to say it this way, is like D-Day. What we're going to do right now is very similar in response that they're not just words, it's a prayer that counts. And it will be a covering of prayer over everything that Pastor Linda and Pastor James has said this morning. So when we we, uh, go into it right now, and believe God for everything that we're praying, for everything that you're standing for, for everything that you've heard this morning, understand that it's a total covering. They're not idle words. They're words that have conviction. They're words that have confession. They have have a motivation in the Spirit of God that protects, that brings honor, that brings us to go forward. It energizes. So please hold on to it. Hold on to every word that you can and believe God for this school year and for everything that counts.
0: Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.